Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, episode 25, Tammy's Double Whammy. I'm joined by Jack Davies, as always. How are we doing, fella? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Happy the boys have got back on the road to winning some games. So, yeah, looking forward to Christmas as well. Yeah, exactly. Chelsea winning just before Christmas. Always good to brighten the mood. And joining us on podcast for the first time is a very special guest, someone I've been wanting to get on for a while, someone whose content I admire, someone who I think is one of the few genuine level-headed balanced Chelsea fans out there on Twitter especially which is you know I'm saying this it's I shouldn't really be having to say this but it's very hard to find but warm welcome to Daniel Charles also known as son of Chelsea how are you doing man great thank you for having me on especially after the result the other night uh, I think it's you know it's, it's a big thing to have you know going into Christmas uh, considering circumstances outside of football at the moment so it's great to speak about Chelsea um, some real positive performances and uh, let's hope we have a good discussion because I'm excited to talk about that result yeah, so am I. So am I. Obviously, this is Daniel's first time on the podcast, and obviously with guests, I let them explain to the listeners sort of what they're about. So, Daniel, I guess what can the people like find from you on your YouTube channel at Son of Chelsea, but also from you on Twitter? Pretty much, uh, I I wouldn't expect a lot from me on Twitter going forward. Uh, maybe into twenty twenty one, and maybe we'll get into that in terms of you know, you know your introduction about Twitter. But predominantly on YouTube, uh, daily YouTube videos uh, surrounding Chelsea, so news type videos, uh, match reviews, uh, titled the Rational Perspective. I've got my sort of my team selector, which is like my preview type show where I'll look at the opposition, look at what Frank said in the press conference, and it, and then give my lineup and reasoning behind it. Uh, I have collabs on the channel, so I 
interact with a lot of fellow Chelsea creators that I'm sure people listening to this will be uh, used to and will know, you know, the likes of Simon Phillips I've had on the channel, uh, Dan McCarthy, I've had uh, other people like Nini FC, uh, Eunice, other YouTubers as well. So that's predominantly, I think, going through my selection of shows in terms of uh, the channel currently, um, getting closer to 20K. So it's, uh, if people enjoy it, please go and check it out, you know, daily videos on Chelsea. So um, yeah, that's, that's about it really. Nice one, yeah. The link to Daniel's channels and socials will be in the description below. Honestly, do check it out if you want balanced, level-headed analysis that won't, you know, make you want to like rip your head off, I guess, after some <laughs> games. Right, it's been a while since the last pod. Uh, our last episode was actually Everton, so Chelsea have played two games since then. First up was Wolves. Don't want to spend too long on it because it was very frustrating and disappointing, really. We didn't play great. Drew scored. Uh, we kind of went to sleep after that, really, and didn't turn up for the remainder of the game. Lost him in injury time. It was, you know, really painful, really heartbreaking. Um, yeah, Chelsea Twitter after that wasn't a great place. I decided to take a break from it because I just thought, get away from it for a few days. It was nice sort of just to get that sort of relax and cleanse away from it. And uh, yeah, we beat... So I guess we move on to West Ham. Actually, before we do that, Champions League draw, Jack, Atletico Madrid. Quick thoughts on that draw? Um, not ideal let's put it like that when you see City get people like Mitch and Gladbach and Schalke Monaco over the last over the last few seasons and we've been dealt with the likes of Barca PSG Bayern and now Atletico um, I think it'll be a very difficult game um, very cagey because they're if not yeah probably the best at defending um, best team in the world at it so I mean, if you if you'd asked me that after the Everton game, I would have been saying not won't have much chance because if we can't break down a team like Everton, then I don't know how we'll break down them. But there's there's a few months until the game. We're only going to get better, so I think it's one of those we'll go there. It'll probably be a game game that's very cagey, like the Spurs game at Stamford Bridge. Just try and hold out for a nil nil and then take take it back to the bridge for the second leg and try and go and win it. Yep, I guess before we go on to West Ham, Daniel, any sort of quick thoughts on that draw? Yeah, it is the toughest one. I think even more so than Barcelona. I, th I think that, you know, Barca at the moment, yes, obviously Lionel Messi, but, you know, I would have preferred to face them because I think, you know, there, there's so many problems at the moment. They're in a very uh, a big transition at the moment. The thing is about Atletico, just tactical intelligence, you know, and I think it's going to be one of Frank Lampard's biggest tests as Chelsea manager um, because I think this season we really need to get past the round of 16 to see to have like to, to be seen to be improving in the Champions League because we haven't won a knockout tie since 2014 um, and that needs to be rectified this year I do agree that th there is a few months to go and I think whenever this draw gets made I think that you can overreact based on recent performances I think it's key Chelsea have a fully fit squad. That may sound obvious, but I think if we go into this game with Hakim Ziyech, if we go into this game with a Timo Werner that finds goals once again, um, you know, our, our first choice uh, back five uh, fully available, I, I, I back this team a lot more. You know, having players like Thiago Silva, I think is going to be a big uh, help in these games. Um, but Atletico just watched them last year against uh, Liverpool. Um, they're so tactically astute in this game. They are. They know in the Champions League how to get past difficult teams they know how to go deep in this competition which is something we have to be wary of um 
So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big challenge. Chelsea are going to need to perform well. But then I, I look at it, you know, if we were to win this game, win this, uh, sorry, uh, draw and beat them and knock them out, that would be massive for this team. Um, and you're going to face these teams eventually. So you might as well get it out of the way. And I think it'd be a big boost. So it, it's hard to really know where both teams are going to be by that stage, what, late February? You know, a lot can happen till then. So, yeah, it, it's tough, but it's Champions League. Yeah, exactly. No real easy draw in the Champions League. It's certainly an exciting tie to look forward to and a big test for Frank and this young Chelsea team. Right, last night we beat West Ham 3-0. Happy days. Very happy days after two very disappointing results and two very disappointing performances. We bounced back with not a vintage Chelsea performance, far from it. It was, you know, very hard-fought victory, really. Sort of, I guess... So a very sort of guess encouraging sign for this Chelsea team, particularly given how it's seemed sort of under Frank so far. And I guess previous seasons, Chelsea have had to play really, really well to win a game. Um, Jack, we got off to a pretty good start after a slight early scare with Rice's goal being called out for offside. Um, but Thiago Silva scores a bullet header from that man, Mason Mount, whipping in great corners yet again. Again, just put, seems, seems to be putting it on the money every single time at the moment. And when you've got defenders like Thiago Silva and Zuma who can climb above people and just nod it straight in the back of the net, it's pretty much happy days, isn't it? I mean, so Zuma's got four four goals in the Prem already. Thiago Silva's got two. I think Chile's got two and Reese has got one. So, you, I mean, you're getting nine goals from your defenders and I think we scored 29 goals. It's a third of, almost a third of our goals, well, a third of our goals, which is huge. And especially when... You've seen people like Timo struggling a bit at the moment. Um, to be able to see your defenders picking up picking up goals and important goals, um, that's massive for the team. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess, you know, Daniel, the first, I'd say 25 minutes of that game, I'd say we were in mm. control pretty much. And then West Ham grew into the game a lot. What did you sort of make of the midfield, the midfield's mm. performance? Because obviously we saw Jorginho come back in to the sides and we you know we all kind of know Jorginho's strengths but also his weaknesses was it did it sort of become very apparent to you especially that there's a reason why Jorginho is not really a starter for Chelsea certainly the Premier League under Frank this season yeah I mean you always consider when a player's been out in the cold and out in the cold he's been playing some of the Champions League games but you know the intensity of the Premier League games the fact that Frank we feel like and going into this game that was the biggest shock of that starting 11 for me because you feel like okay we've basically settled on a midfield three now you know Kante is sort of the deepest midfielder Mason and one of Kovro or Kai at the moment you know that's sort of the the three or four players that have been rotating around at the moment um it's Jorginho started the game really well but you know Jorginho is a really exciting player and can be a very helpful player when you're in possession and you're on top of the game he put in some wonderful first time passes um and it looked like it was going to be the sort of night where Jorginho reminds us of his quality. But as you mentioned, when the game turns, it it's a real struggle, I think, for Jorginho, especially with the type of football Chelsea play. We, we can be a possession-orientated team, but as we saw last night, we're not a team that I would say is all about possession. 
um, you know, in terms of the way Sari wants to play to Lampard, it, you know, there's a lot more variation to the way Lampard plays. Um, he's, and unfortunately for a player like Jorginho, he just does not fit that system. Um, and I think, you know, it was, it was telling. And I, I think you've got to give credit to Frank that he saw the game turning, especially against Jorginho, you know, us giving the ball away so cheaply, putting ourselves under unnecessary pressure. And Frank made that change. I don't know if you guys have been speaking about it previously, but I know Frank has received some criticism for his lack of proactive action in terms of subs early in the game. And that was a moment where Frank set, could clearly see what was going on, brought on cover. And I, I felt once Kante went deeper again, I think it really opened up the pitch for us a bit more and gave us that possibility to break, which then inevitably led to the two goals. So yeah, Georgie, I think the writing's been on the wall for quite a while now um i think even you can go back to the start of project restart you know when he was not really starting games and then he came in because of kante's injury and he started a bit at the, at the beginning of this season um but once frank has found this 4-3-3 i don't know why you want to stray away from that i think georgie will get games because i think he's a decent rotational player um but it's it's he's going to be a player that's going to be on the move because I think that in terms of what Lampard wants to do now with his midfield, I don't think Jorginho is a type of player that just suits what, what he wants to do. So yeah, it, it was a bit of a struggle and, and I can't see him getting many more main starts for Chelsea. I think you'll mostly likely, most likely see him maybe off the bench or in, in cup games moving forward. Yep. Yeah, no, I completely agree with everything you've just said. Obviously Mateo Kovacic came on the pitch and to be fair, Fair to cover, Jack. You and I were fairly critical of him sort of at the start of the season. You know, we said he'd not really kicked into gear. He didn't really kick into gear after Project Restart, to be honest. But so in recent weeks, he has been reminding us of the quality he possesses. And when he came on the pitch, I just felt a, car, a more calmness around the team. You know, you feel comfortable giving him the ball. He'll, he'll drive up the pitch. He'll win you free kicks. You know, he'll just get, get you that tempo you sort of need back into the game. And to be honest, I think after that, we did get that foothold into the game and, you know, we did get back all-important second goal. It was, a, you know, a miss hit from, from Timo, but, it, you know, credit to Tammy, he's in the right place. At first, I thought he was offside. I thought, surely he's got to be offside. He's in that much acres of space. But credit to him, he was, on, he was onside. He knew what he was doing. A, a clever, deft little finish. And then a couple of minutes later, Mason Mounts sort of again at the half. It whips in the ball. Pulisic heads it at Fabianski and it falls to... Tammy to slot home for 3-0 and all of a sudden a game that has been in you know some peril West Ham although didn't actually test Eddie Mendy as far as I'm aware they did look pretty dangerous on ball and there was that sense of there was definitely that foreboding sense of what could what could come so Jack how pleased were you not only with Tammy's like performance considering he wasn't actually perhaps in the game as much you know given how West Ham dominated would dominate possession anyway for certainly large chunks of the second half but also the fact that this Chelsea team was able to grind out a win and a flattering scoreline, having to, you know, really dig in at times in that game. 100%. I'll start, start with Tammy. I think going back to the Spurs game, people were, people were onto his back saying can't, can't convert chances last night. He, to be fair, I still thought he, he, he was quiet, but some of the stuff he did was quality. Like, that little layoff on his chest for the second goal was was brilliant, and that's where the goal comes from ultimately. Um, things like that, but I've, you just got to credit him for his clinicalness last night. Two chances in the back of the net, and he's he's killed the game for us and made the last fifteen minutes a lot easier to watch than from minute twenty to seventy or seventy five, whenever the goal was. Um, so yeah, no, really pleased with him, and that was a big call from Frank 
um, considering the form Giroud's been in, um, you think a lot of people will probably say it should have been Giroud starting, but I think that was a great, great call from Frank. Um, Giroud's been class, but he's just, he, he's obviously he's lost pace. He's never been the quickest player. I think Tammy with his pace, uh, getting in behind teams, setting the press uh, with Mason just works really well, to be fair. And then for us, for us winning the game with a scoreline like that, considering considering the game it was, um, it was it's class. That's what you like to see. That's what the good teams do. They win games when they haven't played that well. And as we know, that would never have happened last season. We would have bottled it and uh, conceded a goal. And yeah, yeah, that's that's what I say about that. I think. Fair enough. Daniel, I guess, bring you into this. Anything you'd like to add on to what Jack's just said? Yeah, uh, Tammy, I think it's really impressive uh, what he did against West Ham because I think, you know, having a a few weeks where he's been on the sidelines and, you know, had to watch Drew come into the team, um, I think it's just a positive overall that Chelsea have so many different options this season and have two strikers, at least we'd call the main strikers, you know, the, the the number nine in this formation, whether you think Timo could play centrally, that are scoring goals. You know, that's something that we haven't had uh, for quite a while. I think you have to probably go back to Ancelotti's year, you know, maybe even a little bit before that, to, to think of a time when we had a couple strikers that you could say they're probably going to get some decent goal figures this year. Um, Tammy, I think, receives such harsh criticism given the fact he's young and given the fact he's what he did last season, being our top goal scorer, what he's done this year with all the new signings we brought in and the way he's responded. I think there's so many things to Tammy's game that get undervalued or just missed, I think, by some Chelsea fans in terms of the extra mobility that Tammy brings that Giroud doesn't. In terms of starting the press, I mean, there was a point during last night's game where I felt maybe Drew should come on. You know, nothing's really sticking up there. But then when you actually think about it, you know, on the break in terms of pace to to really hit West Ham, you want Tammy there. You know, I, I think it depends on what type of opponent you're playing against and what type of front three you want. You know, I think when Tammy's there, I think he does elevate the game of Timo Werner. Um, I think he allows Timo more space. I think, you know, if you watch the Wolves and Everton games, Timo was very isolated, right? Um, he barely got into the, either of those games. Tammy comes back into the team and suddenly Timo's finding space again and, he, and he's getting in front of goal. Now, we can discuss about those fini- whether he's, you know, in terms of his poor finishing at the moment, but I think that's a positive for Chelsea that Tammy, I think there's a reason why Tammy um, is in the team and, and, and I don't think it's a coincidence that when Tammy has been in the team, Timo Werner looks a, a bit better for me um, and is able to find that space. Um, I think both goals highlighted for me two areas of his game that he's been criticised for. The first one, anticipation, you know, being able to basically a static West Ham defence. I was like you, I thought he was offside. I I thought there's no way this goal was going to stand. Anticipation to find that, you know, clinical. And in the second goal, the link-up play of Pulisic on the halfway line was absolutely wonderful. A few flicks and Chelsea were off. Um, and yeah, I, I just I think Tammy's demeanour and, and his his work rate. I just think he's such a wonderful player to have for Frank. And the fact that he's got two strikers like Tammy and Ollie who he can rotate in and out, competing with each other, who clearly have a good rapport with each other. I think it's a win-win situation. So we could we could sort of talk about either player strengths and weaknesses. I think it's just good we have two strikers who I think are in pretty decent form this year. Yeah, no, I agree, and also add. Tammy, I believe, was also that Werner chance at the end of the first half. He also is sort of involved in the link-up play to that flicks mm. onto Pulisic. He then is mm. able to get space and then feed Timo. And yeah, another impressive performance from Tammy. And if I'm correct, that's his fifth goal in seven Premier League starts. Mm. So when he does get that chance in Premier League, 
he is taking it. So Chelsea won 3 0. We went back up to fifth in the league. We went above Spurs. And would you believe it or not, Chelsea aren't finished yet. No exaggeration at all. Right. <laughs> We're now going to go on to some of the questions that you guys sent in. And the first one is from Rob, who asked Tiago Silva or Michael Ballack, based on their first season. Who was a better free transfer? I haven't actually talked about Thiago Silva, but he won man of a match last night. And he, he was pretty immense. And the main reason, I think, that we kept West Ham at bay, you know, just numerous blocks, you know, in dangerous areas, etc., just putting his body on the line, a real top performance. Um, Jack, based on their first season, who was the better transfer? That's a tough one. That is a tough one. Um, I, I'm purely going to go based off just, the impact that he's been able to have on that defence this year from what it was last year. I don't know the exact numbers, but the amount of goals we conceded last year was was a disgrace. Um, I know other players like Mendy, Chilwell, etc. Other defenders have come in and done a good job and certainly helped that. But I just think the leadership that blokes brought, brought to the team, uh, the winning mentality and just... Just the like calmness he has on the ball. There's so many circumstances I've seen in the games this season where the ball's coming over and you think he most defenders would just honk it on the on the volley straight out or just up the pitch. And he has the awareness to take to let the ball come down, take a touch and just reset it around to Zuma or play a forward pass. And um yeah, like, I just I just think he's he's had he's had a bigger impact for me. Fair enough. I'll also throw out one to you, Daniel. Yeah, I think it's a bit difficult to compare two players, you know, that we know won't have the same amount of time at Chelsea. Um, but just on Thiago, I, I think he's been wonderful. He really has. Um, a lot of people outside of the club were going, you know, why Chelsea over the summer? Why Chelsea spending all this money on attackers? They need defenders. Chelsea did invest heavily on their def- defence, maybe not in terms of actual fees, but getting Thiago Silva, what, what a move that's proved to be. I think he's proved us... All wrong, I think. Not that in the sense that we didn't believe sort of he was a good defender. I think there was that concern of at his age coming into the intensity of the Premier League. And I think a lot of us at the time felt, does this feel like a little bit of a panic buy? You know, is it is it just sort of, you know, it's there, it sort of happened. And I did think at the time, it's an opportunistic signing that could prove exactly what we need in terms of danger awareness, in terms of leadership. And that's exactly what he's brought. I, I've said this a few times and I, I think it's a very simplistic point, but I think it's like having... 14-15 JT back in that defence um, I think it really is and he's just absolutely class um, I think mm. his composure his organisation it's great to have a defender um, who's as vocal again I think we've missed that um, just someone who's always organising and you listen to the words of Ben Sherwell of Kurt Zuma of Reese James what they say about Thiago Silva the impact he's had on their games and especially Kurt I mean Kurt's just gone to another level this year and it's wonderful to see so Tiago, yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. If we can keep him fit, I think we're going to have a good season. Yeah, I do think a lot rests on the. Oh, sorry. I'll just add. To, that's right. Sorry. Or can I just add to that as well? The age factor as well. Um, to be thirty six and come to the Premier League at this stage of his career and perform like he has, um, that just shows what the bloke's made of. Um, I think I, I don't know if you boys heard last night. I'm sure most people did Frank's interview afterwards, and they asked him about him. And Frank was just saying he remembers being that age, playing in the Prem, being in and out of the team, not playing as much. And he just said, my body couldn't take it anymore. Um, so, again, it just shows the, the, 
just the physicality of the bloke, the willingness to just keep going. I know he said he wants to target going to another World Cup at his age. Um, so that just um, just symbolises the winning mentality he has. And that's only going to benefit the younger players going forward for this club. Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you guys both said. I've not, you know, we've not, we've been missing that, you know, top, top defender since JT 14, 15, you know, in other years we might have been able to sort of hide the deficiencies due to formation, but I think we've not seen that top, top defender of a bridge since JT there. So yeah, again, it, it's me to Thiago Silva. Again, it's difficult to compare, but I think a lot rests, our season, a lot of our hosts rest on Thiago Silva in particular. Right, the next question comes in from Manan, and he asks, thoughts on Emerson's performance, fellas? I thought he was wonderful and slotted in nicely. Obviously, I guess the one negative of last night was losing Ben Chilwell to injury, and he is going to be missing at least the Arsenal game, we believe. So, M gives Emerson a chance in the team, and he came on. Uh, Daniel, what did you sort of make of Emerson's general performance last night? Yeah, I think it was helped the fact that Thiago Silva was next to him. I think there was a few times where I, where I think Emerson... Maybe I remember in particular one moment where Emerson, like, it's one of those moments where you, a defender's expecting a cross to come in and he jumps and he almost got done a bit. And I think Thiago Silva covered for him and blocked the, the, the eventual cross. So there's concern for me with Emerson. I think it is a massive drop uh, for, uh, for him in the team. You know, I think that it's between him and Ben Sherwell. I think that's my big concern. I think the concern is moving forward is Emerson... He's one of those players, and in terms of fullbacks, a bit like uh, Sojore for Tottenham. I fear he's going to let you down at a key point. He will keep someone on side when the rest of the defence has moved up. The only hope is that Thiago Silva next to him can bail him out, but that's my big concern, right? I think that, and as well moving forward, I, I just think, you know, a lot of people who praise Emerson talk about his offensive capabilities. Well, for me, you know, he even now he's not offering what Ben can. And I, I think that that's a concern. So he, yeah, absolutely. I want to give him credit, right? I think he had a decent game last night. Of course, we kept a clean sheet. And and I think for what he's done in the past and the way he's looked quite shaky in the past, I think, you know, Sevilla and last night, I think Sevilla was his, was it his last game? Or I think obviously Ooh, he played Krasnodar. Krasnodar as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's had some decent performances recently to hopefully for a couple games he can be serviceable. But I, I can't say that I'm as confident with him there. Yeah, Jack. Yeah, definitely agree with everything Daniel's just said. Yeah, I think if if Chile's going to be out for a, a sustained amount of time, um, which obviously, hopefully not, touch wood, but um, we'll be in trouble. Some of the some of the wingers down that right side for other teams, like Salah, will absolutely kill him. So, um, yeah, it is a worry in that fact, but can't take anything away from him. He was. Pretty, pretty solid overall last night. Um, like Daniel said, can't argue when, when a defender's kept a clean sheet, can you? Yeah, no, I agree. And I do agree about that being a liability. I immediately think back to that Spurs League Cup game where I believe he kept mm -hmm. Lamella on side. And obviously we know how that League Cup tight turned out. Right, the next question comes in from Jay. He was on the pod last week. He says, how do you think we should tackle the Arsenal game? Similar to the West Ham game, starting with Jorginho having Werner and Pulisic on the wings or change it up? In general, we got asked about sort of the starting eleven for that game. But Daniel, what would you sort of change would you make for Arsenal game? I think it's good in this period of the season um, that Lampard has a normal sort of week leading up to Arsenal, if you think about it. 
you know, because usually at this time of the year, you've only got like two days max between games. I think for a game of this importance, it's good that Frank has a little bit of breathing room until then. Um, I think in that midfield, I think you go back to what we've known, right? I think you'll have Kante as the lone DM. I think you have, on current form, I think you have Kova uh, ahead and, and Mason. Um, I don't think you should be straying away from that. I think this Arsenal midfield, as we've seen in recent weeks, depending on who's in there, can really be got at and really be uh, bettered. And I think that you need to be playing players on form. You know, I think Jorginho, just based on last night's performance, the fact he was the first player hooked. I mean, do you really expect the first player hooked to be starting the next game? I think to me, that's quite a defining moment in a game for a player. Um, and I think that that's a telltale sign that we're going back to sort of the the usual midfield three. Um, so yeah, in terms of that, just in terms of the midfield, I, th- I think that Jorginho won't be starting. And then beyond that, I think that it's tough to really know. I think Ziyech's fitness, I think, is a big thing for this game. Um, we expect him to be back in the squad. But, you know, as was the case with Callum last night, I don't think Frank's going to throw in a player just coming back from injury. I think it's more likely that both actually Callum and Ziyech should be on the bench, which I think great options to have. But I think there's some concern, isn't there, creatively when Ziyech is not there. You'd want to get him back in the team as, as fast as possible. Um I just wonder if Arsenal is going to be the game where Timo finally uh, takes one of these chances or takes a couple of them. Um, and I feel that Tammy's probably done enough um, to keep his place. It's tough to know. I mean, Arsenal, just the type of team Arsenal at the moment, they're going to defend deep. Um, and they're a team that, I mean, I don't really know what Arsenal are trying to do at the moment. Um, so it's, it's hard to know what you're going to get from them. Um, so I think there's a debate there on as well, to be honest. But Pulisic for me has to be in this team. He's coming back to yeah. the best. And I feel like Pulisic is, is on the verge of doing, I think, having a special performance. Yeah. Um, Jack, I guess, your would your team be for Arsenal? What, the whole team? <laughs> well, OK, we've, we've, we've got, we know the defence right. as it is. No, I'd, yeah, I'd go the same, same three, Kante, Mount and Cover, 100%. It's one of those, if we're... If we're in control of the game and you want to bring Jorginho on to keep possession, then bring him on for the last 10, 15 minutes if we need to. Um, but I think the other three is definitely the three to go with. Um, top three, I agree. I think Tammy, Tammy will get the nod again. Um, all know what he did last year at the Emirates. So uh, have some more of that, please. Um, and then on the wings, Pulisic, yeah. Got to start. He just brings brings something extra. How direct he is. Um, thought he was good last night. Obviously, still not quite fit. Uh, full, quite fully fit. Still a little bit rusty. Um, but he's getting there, and um, he's going to be a big player for us this season. I think if we can keep him fit, then on the other wing, I I don't know. It's quite hard. You probably still start Timo. Um, but you can see why people would say maybe give him a rest. He's played a lot of football, international as well. He's, to be honest, I don't think he's really had a break since since we started. Um, but yeah, I think he'll go. He'll go. Timo, Tammy, and Pulisic, unless Ziyech is fit. If Ziyech's fully fit, I think he's got to start. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, Maria asks, should Callum potentially start ahead of Timo Werner? Daniel, is that a bit? What do we think there? I think um, based on Callum's recent form, you know, before the injury, I think he's really impressed. Um, and that's the shame of it. You know, when he's played in the, in the Champions League group games, um, scoring against Krasnodar, scoring against Ren, I thought he had a decent game against Sevilla. I think he's 
taken actually the chances he's been given this year. Um, I just, I don't know. It's tough, isn't it? Because you go with a player who's just been injured, um, but there is a directness to Callum's game. Um, I do agree. I think, you know, if I'm expecting that Callum and Ziyech are both going to be fit for this game and, you know, you'd still prefer Ziyech in the team, wouldn't you? Um, I think that Callum, I still don't know if Frank would start him like that in a big game. I'm still based on what I've seen so far this season. Um, and that's harsh on Callum, right? But, you know, you just look at squads and you think, especially players coming back from injury who originally weren't first-team players to begin with or at least weren't Premier League regulars to begin with, are they going to be thrown in ahead of the Premier League regulars? And I do think Frank would maybe look at it and go, Timo's getting chances. He's finding himself in good positions. That run can't continue. Like, he, he will put one of these in the back of the net sooner or later, especially against Arsenal, a brittle Arsenal at the moment. You feel if Timo gets one, you could see maybe more coming after that. Yeah. Okay, Jack, anything to add? Would you start Callum or a bit, bit, bit too big a risk? No, I don't. Timo? No. no, I don't think so. I think even when he's been fit this season, we've seen Frank's not, not really trusted him. So I think that says it all. Um, maybe off the bench again. But um, no, it'll be Pulisic and Timo, I think. Or Ziyech. Fair enough, fair enough, guys. And we'll be back in a second part two to continue answering your game. Right, welcome back to part two. We're still answering your questions. Uh, next question comes in from Dean Mears. He asks, how reliant is this team on Hakim Ziyech? Um, Daniel, I'll give this one to you. We've you know, obviously seen the goals dry up after he went injured in those two games prior. Um, against West Ham, we did score three, but how reliant do you think this team are on Hakim Ziyech at the moment? Yeah, he's a massive player for us. There's, there's no denying that. Uh, what he's able to do in terms of opening up the pitch, in terms of possibilities, um, in creating chances is, is massive. You know, even if he doesn't have the best game, I think he still helps, um, especially down on that right-hand side. I mean, that Sheffield United game was just, I think it's, the, it's probably the best performance he's had so far this season, um, just all round. And especially against teams who defend a little bit deeper, I think he's such a great answer to that. You know, the things we struggled with last season. Um, listen, all great teams or all good teams have players they rely on. I think it's not a negative. I've seen this a bit this season where we go, is it too bad we're relying a lot on Thiago Silva? We're relying a lot on whoever it is on the week, you know, Olivier Giroud or, or Ngolo Kante. And it's like, well, you know, back in 0405, we relied a lot on Frank Lampard. We relied a lot on JT. Um, I don't think that's a negative. Uh, I think that, yeah, there's concerns over him being injured, but um, I think you've got to give the team credit that without Hakim Ziyech last night, um, in a pressure situation, the team got the job done. You know, and and that's you. You can't play flair football all the time. You it's just the way football is, right? The best Chelsea teams we've seen them down the years have some really forgettable, turgid wins that you just you literally on the season DVD you're swapping. You know, you just you watch the goals and you move on. There's nothing else to see here. Um, so yeah, it's. Hopefully he's back. And when he's back, I think you'll see the team in terms of creativity, it will shoot up again because he's such an extraordinary player. Out of all the flashy signings, I think he's the biggest, uh, had the biggest impact in terms of like creatively out of all those attacking signings. He's been, he's been incredible. He really has. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, next question comes in from the guys at 1905. Great podcast. Make sure you guys check them out. They asked, do we expect Ziyech back for Arsenal? We've kind of already discussed that, you know, we reckon probably the bench for him 
And do we expect to see Timo and Kai in their preferred positions? And just to caveat that, do you think we should, you know, give that potentially Werner a rest in that game? We've kind of sort of discussed what we reckon Werner will be up to, but we've not actually discussed Kai Havertz so far. He was a substitute yesterday. You know, we all know sort of he's not, not quite hit the ground running so far in his Chelsea career. But do you think we should see... Kai playing in his preferred position, Daniel, or do you think right now is not the time to really focus on getting Kai Havertz in his best position? What is his preferred position? I mean, that's the question I pose back because I think part of the reason, and it's it's like why we bought, bought Timo, is versatility, is the ability that you could take a player like um, Havertz and you can play him as a number eight, you can play him as a number 10, you can play him as a right winger, you can play him potentially as a false nine. Um, he's still a very young player um, and finding his best position. Um, I feel that when, I think I was listening to uh, Simon Johnson on Alex Goldberg's podcast the other week, and it was like, when he's on the right on, on, of a front three, everyone goes, oh, he's a number eight or he's a number 10. And then when he's a number eight and it doesn't work, oh no, he's actually, a, he should be playing off on the right, you know, and it should be nearer the striker. Um, I think that it was starting to work when he, him and Mason and Kante, just before he got COVID, I think that was such a big mm-hmm. setback for him. Um, he's just really off form at the moment. But as I've stressed a lot, this is a massive long-term signing for Chelsea. This is not a three or four-month signing. You know, this is not Ziyech. Ziyech is in the prime of his career. He's almost a fully formed player at this point. Same with Thiago Silva. Um, even to an extent, Timo Werner, you know, it's, it, you've got to remember Kai Havertz, despite the hype and the, uh, sort of the bigging up of that fee and how big of a signing it was over the summer. He's still a very young player. He's younger than the likes of Tammy Abraham. Um, and we think of Tammy as a young player still. So I don't know what his preferred position is, but I think that Lampard, he's found a formation that works and he's found a formation that suits a majority of his players. You know, it may not suit every player, but surely as a coach, you want to find a system that suits the most players. I mean, I, I think that's one of the basic fundamentals of being a coach is is finding the best system for your players or a majority of them and, and that's what he's found this season so why would you want to stray massively away from that maybe the 4 2 3 one suits Kai Havertz a bit better but as we saw in the opening weeks of the season the 4 2 3 one with Jorginho and the team just didn't look and didn't click the way the 4 3 3 has so no I, I think just give Kai time and I actually think number eight will be hopefully in the second half of the season where is where he plays because I actually think in in small glimpses we've seen that really work for him yep and you know long-time listeners of the pod will know that I don't like banging on about the 4 2 3 one. it sort of becomes quite <laughs> common that you know I don't think it's best for this team seven moment I agree I think Kai Havertz has shown glimpses of what we can do in the eight and I think that's where the moment his future in this Chelsea team is who knows maybe in the summer should certain signings come to fruition maybe that'll prompt Frank to you know look at the 4 2 3 one again but right now I think he should be they're yeah, looking to try and cement his spot in, the, in that 4 3 3. Um, Jack, that was also part of that question. Would it be the game to give Timo a rest? I know people, you know, I think a lot of people sort of worried about Timo because he's not, he's not scored. Our mate Louis has jinxed him, hasn't he, Jack? But after Burnley, I don't think he scored in the league and he said, This bloke don't yeah. miss chances. So, um, <laughs> yeah, how do you think it's a game to rest him or do you just think no? It's, it's one of those, it's easy to say, isn't it? A lot of people say, drop him but what he needs to do is go and score a goal how's he going to do that he needs to be playing so um, and with with the injuries and people not, not being fully fit I do see that he'll start um, 
it's, it's frustrating watching him. Um, it's hard to watch when you're seeing him miss, miss these chances. Uh, like last night, I thought, oh, was Pulisic released the ball a little bit too late? Um, and then on second watch replay, I think he pretty much timed it pretty well, to be honest. It was just a dodgy first touch and it got stuck under his feet. Um, and then the second one in the second half, hitting the crossbar. Um, look, it's just one of those, you go through those patches as a striker um, and when it's just not happening for you, it's not happening for you. If he was on a on a goal-scoring streak, that ball cannons off the crossbar, goes in and everyone goes, top finish, son. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's been it's been difficult with him, but the thing that doesn't that makes me not worry about him is that he's getting into these positions, he's getting the chances to score the goals, and he will take one eventually. Um, it's just frustrating having to see all these uh, all these compilations of these recent misses. Um, but he's he scored four goals, he's got four assists, um, eight goal contributions. Is it's not it's not bad, is it? If you ask me, um, and people are getting on to him he's got more goal contributions than Sterling or or Martial or Aubameyang so um, I think it's just one of those easy ones to pick on when people see those misses but um, I think I think he's still having a big impact on the team um, some of the runs he makes as well um, we've discussed it before Nick um, you see him make two or three really good runs every game and no one makes that pass so uh, I think that sort of links back to the ZH question. Um, he's the type of player that will go and make that pass and cut in and make that one in 100 through the eye of a needle pass that someone like Sesk's done in the past. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried. Um, well, we've said it before. I think once he gets one, he'll be off on a scoring streak. But it is, it's been hard to watch. Yeah, they also asked about playing him sort of, I guess, in his preferred position as well. I guess, you know, most people thought Timo was going to come in, sort of take that central role and displace Tammy and Oli. But for me right now, I don't think it's, you know, Tammy and Oli when they've both been up front have done the job and scored. And while I know people will point back to, I think, two of Timo's four goals in the Prem came in that one game against Southampton where he was up front and he was a live wire. I think right now, Timo being on the wing isn't the worst thing. And until Giroud and Tammy hit like a real just massive loss of form, and I think I don't see Frank putting Timo out wide again. I think it's the same as the Havertz thing. It goes back to what's best for the team, what's working for the team at the moment. Those two up front are putting the ball in the back of the net, so they should be starting. Um, same with the Havertz. Uh, 4-3-3 is our for best formation at the moment. If he wants to play, he's got to learn how to make an impact in that eight role. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, next question comes in from Mike. Uh, he asks, how did you rate Mendy's performance for context? Mike loves his goalkeepers. He's a big Nick Pope fan <laughs> and he's also a big Eddie Mendy fan. Um, I guess perhaps maybe the slight concern came from the fact that, you know, we got, he got rounded easily by Declan Rice for West Ham's opening goal. I don't know, maybe that's it. But Jack, how did you rate Eddie Mendy's performance last night? Um, to be honest, he didn't didn't as much pressure as they put on us and made it uncomfortable for us. Um, didn't really have to do much, did he? Um, small thing that I'd I'd pick out from him is his um, his distribution isn't the best. Um, 
when he's kicking it out. There's a few times he's tried to get it into Tammy or whatever, and it hasn't quite hasn't quite come off. So that that was one of the things that frustrated me a little bit last night. But again, you can't complain. Ten clean sheets for him now, um, and he's been a class signing. Yep. No. Fair enough. Also, just give a special mention to Azpilicueta. I haven't mentioned him last night, but I thought coming back into the team, boys, he didn't really put a foot wrong. And you saw him getting his body in the line for key blocks at key moments. So, um, yeah. Right. The next question we got asked comes in from RJ. I I mean, we kind of discussed it, but there's a follow-up to the question, which I actually want to get into. He says, who should start up front for the Arsenal game? Uh, Just quick answers. Jack, who's your... Uh, Tammy. Tammy. Daniel? I think I've got to say Tammy. Yeah, and I'll go with Tammy. His follow-up to that is, I'm really keen to know your thoughts on whether you think Lampard should keep Andrew with the first team or consider loaning him to get first team experience. Obviously, we saw Tino get that Champions League start in the dead rubber against Krasnodar. He was with the squad for the Everton game. Uh, There's a lot of excitement about Tino Andrew, and rightly so. You know, For some people, he sort of built in that Ruben Loftus-Cheek mould. Very exciting. Player. But Daniel, what do you think Frank should do with, with Tino Andrian at the moment? I think he'll sort of go down the route of, say, what, what happened to Billy Gilmore last season. Um, I think he'll stay with the first team. Uh, you got to think that there could be some players making a move in January. Um, and that could maybe, you could have a situation where even, say, a Jorginho could leave. Um, and then you, know, you're, you want to keep sort of the same numbers in midfield, potentially. And I think what you'll see, hopefully, if we get a decent little run in the cup, at least for a few games, it's a really good opportunity to bet him in. Like Gilmore, we we had last season with him. So um, I think then maybe in the summer, you'd look maybe to loan him, potentially. It depends on how well he fits in. I mean, the thing with Gilmore, right, is it's Gilmore was so good that I think everyone sort of stood up and went, hang on, this guy could potentially be a first-team player. And, and I think that... Tino, I think he was he really impressed me against Krasnodar. I think he, you know, he had that direct nature. A bit like Gilmore. I think both of them was great to see about these players is when they're coming into the first team under Lampard, they're taking the opportunity, they're being proactive with the ball. They look very much in tune with what Chelsea are trying to do. Um, they don't look like rabbit in headlights, you know, and I think that's been a problem maybe in the past where, you know, young players have been so isolated from first team opportunities that when they come in, it's like, oh, I'm just happy to be here. No, these players are serious. Uh, athletes at this point and they, they think no I can break into this first team now because that glass ceiling has almost been shattered by the likes of Mason Mount and Tammy so Tino I think will will stay with the first team I think he's, he's a cert to start against Morecambe I think that's uh, him and Gilmore I think we're both starting that game so then we see what happens I mean this is the issue right and I'm sure like a lot of us have spoken about this is the amount of Chelsea midfielders there is not only currently with the club but on loan, I think of Conor Gallagher. I think of Ethan Ampadu who can play in that role as well. Um, I know they don't play. I know Ethan Ampadu is not an attacking midfielder, but decisions are going to have to be made right at, at some point, um, and that's that's a, an issue further down the road. But for now, I think Tino's in a good place. He's a, he's a, in a, probably a, a pretty happy squad, and I think he'll learn a lot from the from the midfielders he's playing with. Fair enough, Jack. Anything you want to add to that? No, not really. To be fair, I think I think he'll be staying put. Um, stay and put this season and then just like Daniel said if he can come in again take his chance um, that would be great great for him personally you saw his interview after he played he was absolutely buzzing and that's just that was great to see um, and the, yeah the bloke's an absolute unit wouldn't want to go near him on the pitch um, 
but yeah, I think he'll 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 remain and like we said, um the more training he can get with that first team, the better place that's gonna put him for getting minutes and also if he potentially goes out on loan next season, prepare him well. Fair enough. Uh, the next question is a bit of a cheeky one from Connor Kios. Did Declan Rice pass the Stanford Bridge test? <laughs> um, now, now, you know, it's no, no secret. Chelsea are long-time admirers of Declan Rice. Whenever Declan Rice plays, Chelsea Twitter basically straight goes straight to analyse his performance. Those who are pro-Declan Rice and anti-Declan Rice will, you know, feast on whatever performance he serves up. But, Daniel, what did, uh, did Declan Rice pass the Stanford Bridge test for you? Uh, this is this is honest. It's my honest reaction to the game last night. I got to like I was me and my dad watching a game, and we got to about ninety minutes. Right, we're in the last few minutes, and I was like, "Oh, Declan Rice," and I was like, "Oh, I didn't really pay attention to him." And that's that's not an insult to him. It's just because he's an opposition player, and I don't look at him. I, I'm not analysing him the same way I do Chelsea players. Um, he had that one moment right at the start where he could have scored a goal, um, and it gets ruled out. Um, other than that, I, I don't really sort of have much. I think we spoke a lot about Declan Rice, um, and I think it was a. I, I tried, especially in the run up to the game, to not speak about Declan Rice that much because I felt there were interesting West Ham players to speak about. You know, the likes of uh, Thomas Suchek. I think you know Jared Bowen's a really interesting talent, um, and other players as well that have made this West Ham team quite impressive. Whether he passes, you know, I'm not really getting into that whole Twitter debate of like people posting like screenshots of what's going on in the game and like small moments where Kovacic gets past him. I'm like, can't we just focus on the positives of Chelsea right now and, and the players we have? Um, I, he's clearly a first choice target, right, for Chelsea. There's no, there's no messing about here. Chelsea are going to try and sign Declan Rice. I think it's an inevitability, right? I think that Declan Rice will be a Chelsea player. Um, does he pass the, the, the test at Stanford Bridge? I mean, I think that he was a big part of them keeping possession and a big part of them staying on the front foot, stopping the counter-attacks for most of the second half. Um, I think this is the issue, right, is everyone looks at that one moment and I've seen it, the replay where Cover gets past him. I don't know if that leads to anything, whether it leads to the second goal, I'm not sure. Um, he struggles on the third goal as well. Pulisic clip, but yeah, I think it's the third goal. So it, the yeah, it's the third goal and... And it's just, I mean, it's the current sort of way we look at football, right? Everyone likes to look in foot, look football, especially on Twitter, in like two-second clips uh, rather than the whole game. Um, I'd have to go back and analyse his performance of, of what he did. Um, you know, he didn't have the best performance in comparison to what he did against Chelsea last season. Um, it's probably because he came up against the better Chelsea side this year. You know, our midfield this year compared to last, it's night and day. Um, so he didn't have the same space. And I felt that... Uh, from deep he's a great deep passer you know I think that's something that really intrigues me about him becoming a Chelsea player you know having sort of a a hybrid type player between Kante and Jorginho um, and Declan could potentially be that I think Gilmore could be that as well so I don't know we speak a lot about Declan Rice I think I I hope by this time next year when we're playing West Ham I'm speaking about Declan Rice because he's a Chelsea player until he's a Chelsea player I'll speak about him in terms of transfer rumours and links but last night didn't really focus that much on him, to be honest. The game just sort of passed in by, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I will second man say my first thought was Thiago Silva was immense. That was the very first thing I said to Jack at halftime. I then said Tammy took his two chances very well. And then as an afterthought, I thought, yeah, West Ham did all right in midfield against us. And I thought Declan Rice was solid. But yeah, I'm not going to... Mm. I don't want to sort of bang on about Declan Rice too much because he's not an opposition player. Um, however, we did get asked a very interesting hypothetical question from the concierge of Crimos. Would you spend 80 million on Jose, Him- Jose Maria Jimenez next summer? 
giving Gilmore and Ampadu an opportunity to develop in midfield or spend it on Bryce and keep Andreas Christensen and Tony Rudiger? <laughs> I saw that question. I was just like, I do not like that question at all. It's a naughty question. And it's going like, to make me hard to justify going uh, stay in my starts on uh, Declan Rice. Obviously, I guess the, the Jimenez point being that Thiago Silva is not a long-term future signing. And Jimenez potentially is that signing. Obviously, he's you know, playing for Atletico and in a very you know, well-defensively drilled side. Uh, Daniel, I know you don't particularly want to speak about Declan Rice too much, but I just get your quick thoughts on that hypothetical. Is, you know, is Jimenez 80 million? You know, I don't know if he is or not. I think there's, there's so much that can change. Um, I think it's important, just on the point of centre-back, I think it's important that Chelsea are, are focusing on that area and, and looking to strengthen because, you know, you've got to have a plan after uh, Thiago Silva leaves. So I'm, I'm glad that Chelsea are looking in that direction. But uh, other than that, no, I think that it's, it's I don't know what's going to happen next summer, man. I think there's going to be more faith in Chelsea that we're a lot more serious in the transfer window now. And Chelsea, as, as was proved in the last transfer window, we're going to spend big money. So uh, whether that's Declan Rice, whether that's Jimenez, whether that's someone else, I'm not entirely sure. Fair enough. Jack, get your take on that hypothetical. <laughs> I mean, for starters, it's saying like, given Gilmore and Ampadu an opportunity, only one of them is going to get an opportunity out of that anyway, aren't they, Real- realistically? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a hard one. Like Daniel said, we'll, we'll just see who we go for. I'd like to see, I would like to see Declan Rice come. Whether that means Christensen and Rudiger stay, they don't play anyway, so that doesn't really faze me. Yeah, I guess the only downside is what will happen with Tamori. Obviously, is Tamori the one that has to suffer as a result of that? But I guess we'll wait and see. It's a naughty, naughty question, that. Uh, the final football question, anyway, comes in from David Branch. He asked, with 48 hours between Arsenal and Villa, how would you guys look to manage two players in particular in Thiago Silva and Christian Pulisic? Obviously, Dan, we know that whenever there's been an international break, Thiago Silva has not played that next game after. So we're looking at the Southampton and Newcastle games in the league. And he has also recently, obviously, once the Champions League progression was, you know, sorted, he did rest Thiago mm. Silva for there. Um, Thiago Silva has had a, you know, had a six-day break from Wolves to, to yesterday, and he'll have a nice, you know, five-day break to Arsenal. But how would you manage him and, obviously, Christian Pulisic, you know, those games against Arsenal and Aston Villa? It's, it's, it's the most challenging sort of... Uh, couple day period of the season so far for Frank Lampard especially now he's picking up injuries in the squad you know it feels like such a long time ago even though it's a couple of weeks ago when Frank was sitting there smiling saying we've got a fully fit squad and you were like sort of pinching yourself and it's very quickly reverted back to type in terms of our injury situation um, I feel like Thiago will play against Arsenal I don't think he'll play against Aston Villa I, I think it's likely Antonio Rudiger comes in there alongside Kurt Zuma which when you're thinking of the prospect of a back four of Emerson, Rudiger, Zuma and uh, Dave, you know, it's, it's a lot different, isn't it? Especially against the very good Aston Villa side who we play uh, only 48 hours later. On, on the case of Pulisic, I think, you know, Chelsea have shown a lot of caution. I think it's good that we have now Ziyech and Hudson-Odoi back. I think that's massive for Lampard, you know, because if neither of Ziyech or Hudson-Odoi starts against Arsenal, you then think to yourself, well, you've got two wide players there that can instantly come in against uh, Aston Villa. And I think that's what will happen. And they're two good options to have. So it, it's tough to know, isn't it? I think that, and then you're sort of thinking, what is the gap between Aston Villa and 
Is it Man City the next game after yeah, that? I think that's yeah. New the Year's. second or third of January. So I think there's a little uh, break after third of, that. Yeah, third of Jan. yeah, so it's it, that's that's a good thing for Lampard to have. But absolutely, I think managing Thiago Silva is a massive part of this season. I think it's a uh, that's one area. And and then you're sort of thinking, you know, you want to save him for the Arsenal game. You want to save him for the Man City game. That's a massive game in our season. So, yeah, I think he's absolutely going to miss Aston Villa. I just don't see why. Of course, there's going to be concern in that game. But you've got to give up to Rudiger. I think he's performed constantly when he's been asked to come into the team this year. So, I um, mean, in, in quite difficult circumstances, given he was basically out the door in August. So, um, that will, I think, be the way Frank handles it, to be honest. Yep. Okay, the follow-up to that is, if we're looking to either rest Kante or play him in the eight on occasion, is it time to move Gilmore ahead of Jorginho in that pecking order for the work he gives us out of possession? Jack, I'll give this one to you first. Um, quite possibly, if you're looking for for what the future is going to be, then yeah, you should chuck him in. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I think from what I've watched personally, people probably won't agree with it. But um, when I've seen Gilmore play, maybe it's when he's come off the bench, which is harder to make an impact when you say 1-0 down to Everton and got five minutes left. But I think he gives the ball away too easily, to be honest. Um, and he'll learn from it. But he's, you know what he's like? He's quite small, quite slight. He's not, not the biggest player. So I think it... Again, just goes down to depends what teams you're playing. Um, but uh, future-wise, yeah, you'd say that. But um, I do think you've got to give Jorginho some credit. Um, again, I think he's he's a big character in the dressing room off the pitch and on the pitch can be a big leader. Um, so, yeah, it's, that's a difficult question. Um, but, yeah, future-wise, yeah, I'd give, uh, give Gilmore a run, definitely. Uh, and Daniel, your thoughts on that? I, I think I am leaning more that I think I think Gilmore just suits Lampard's system a lot better than Jorginho does. Um, he's got that mobility. I think you know when we speak about Gilmore, you're sort of con- contractually obliged to speak about Liverpool and Everton last season and sort of mention how good those games was. I, I think I hope those two performances don't become sort of a crutch for Gilmore. Because the performances themselves were immaculate. They were the performances of a player who looked like he was 26, 27, you know, coming into the prime of his career. Um, and everyone stood up and went, who the hell was this player? You know, and, and I think some people would obviously seen Gilmore in the academy and were impressed. But those two performances were wonderful. They were perfect. Um, I, I think, you know, Lampard obviously has a lot of faith in Billy Gilmore. And I wouldn't be stunned if, if once again, he finds himself in the first team picture, especially when you need to rotate Kante. Um, because... Because of the congested nature of the season, I believe there's a lot more midweek Premier League games, especially as we get into the second half of the season, because it still needs to be done by May, doesn't it? So potentially what you could see as we get into the late, later months of the season where on a Saturday, Kante's playing or maybe a Wednesday, uh, Gilmore's playing as well, especially if we go deep in the Champions League. I mean, then I think that definitely becomes a possibility. I agree, you know, he's a young player. I think that that's the issue is we put too much pressure and high standards on I think that a bit like a lot of things in football we go from one extreme to the next and I think that's a big problem with young players is that we don't appreciate or understand or accept any sort of uh, sort of growing pains you know during that you know if you're going to play a young player there needs to be an understanding that he can have great days he can perform at like a 10 and then perform at like a four um, and you've got to understand that so I think it's about appreciating that but absolutely between him and Jorginho 
you're, you're looking at Gilmore, right? Because I think Gilmore offers a lot more mobility in that area for me and protection than uh, Jorginho can. Yeah, I think for me with Billy, mobility is the main issue. I, as I said, I've said to people before, if Jorginho had pace and was agile, I think he'd be, you know, he'd, he'd do well in this league. But it is the issue that he has that there are quite often he is chasing shadows, unfortunately. And yeah, I think with Billy, you know, we saw, we, we talk about, you know, those 10 and 4 performances. We saw those masterclasses against Everton and Liverpool. And then we saw him get subbed off against Leicester at half time mm. in the FA Cup last season. So again, yeah, wary of putting like too much pressure on the kid. And I don't, you know, I think what's as a result we've seen like all the youngsters breaking through which is great but immediately the first thing you saw on twitter when reese james was injured was go give liberamento a game and people were forgetting you've got cesar azpilicueta there as your deputy right back you know liberamento has done well in the youth games i i mean i can't say i've watched a huge amount of him so i'm not going to comment on his overall ability but you know people go straight from thinking oh we've got one young player let's bring another and forget the quality we do have there so yeah i do think we've with Billy, don't put too much pressure on him. And I'd still think Jorginho will have um, a role to play there. Right. Uh, the last two questions, I saw sort of the new section I'm doing. So some non-serious football questions to end on a slightly <laughs> different note. The first question comes in from American Hooligans. This is aimed at a dear friend of ours, Kamal. He asks, if your friend tells you they're really in Slytherin, do you end the friendship before they inevitably turn bad? This is for one for all the Harry Potter fans out there, I guess. Uh, Daniel? I don't think you would. I mean, I, I think I'd be in Hubpuff and like that's that's the only like house I'd be in. I, I want to be just generally on Harry Potter. I want to be in like the the worst houses, like because I think it'd be just hilarious. Being I, I've always wanted to watch a, a spin off, right? Fantastic Beasts is awful, so I'd rather a spin off like going for some like really dull like. A Ravenclaw guy like we've never seen before and he, he's watching all the Harry Potter movies like sort of going going for each one of them no I wouldn't it's like you know it, it depends maybe I mean does every Slytherin have to be a, an evil guy I mean can't we do a bit something can we do something interesting where we you know we turned a Slytherin guy into a into a good guy a, a, you know into maybe a Ravenclaw I, I I think that could be an interesting sort of story but you know yeah no fair enough uh Final question comes in from Michaela, who asks, if you could be any Adam Sandler character from any of his movies, who would you be and why? Um, Jack? Oh, it's got to be Happy Gilmore. No question about it on that one. 100% Happy Gilmore. What a film. Um, just how it teaches you. You can go from, <laughs> go from being the, and just be the jammiest bloke and go and win something. So let's hope that's Chelsea this season, eh? <laughs> Yep, sure. Why not? Yeah, let's apply that logic, <laughs> that very, that very thin logic to, to Chelsea. Um, right, I think Daniel might be frozen at the moment or having issues with why. So I'll answer that next. I am, you know, I quite like Adam Sandler's films. Um, so my answer uh, was quite a few. You know, I like Duncut Gems, but again, he dies in that, so I don't really want to be shot. <laughs> he shot killed in that um you know the do-over is quite a funny film but again he's you know battling cancer in that so i don't really fancy that one so i'm gonna go with his character from just go a bit where he plays a plastic surgeon and ends up marrying jennifer aniston because who doesn't want to do that <laughs> um i'll give a final thoughts about one to daniel oh i wouldn't i just i wouldn't at all there's, there's no character i'd want to play in an adam sandler film like just that if the question was ryan reynolds then you know there'd be i'd, I'd give you a longer answer <laughs> All right, then, Daniel, if it was Ryan Reynolds, who would, which Ryan Reynolds character would you be then? 
Well, of course, it'd be Deadpool first, but you know, I think Van Wilder is another another great choice. Obviously, not Green Lantern. That's that's the one we don't go for. Um, but I'm very excited to see uh, Free Guy. That I can't wait for that movie to come out. So, uh, yeah, Adam Sandler for me is like one of those uh, cinema villains. I just I really don't like the guy. Fair play for Uncut Gems, but other than that, I'm not a big fan. Fair enough, fair enough. Right, well, on that note, that wraps up this episode of that Chelsea podcast. Uh, before we go, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. And I want to wish, I want to thank Daniel for coming on. Daniel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Some just nice, sensible, you know, calm debate, really, just about the club we love and talking about the game yesterday. Um, where can people find you on Twitter so they can follow you there? Uh, just at Son of Chelsea, and that's the same on like Instagram and obviously YouTube as well. So Son of Chelsea, you can find everything there. Yeah, and as I say, do check his YouTube channel out. Honestly, you know, you see if you guys on Twitter, you follow guys like you for like Yannick, like Eunice, you know, like Nini. You'll find Daniel collaborating with people like them. He's really, really good guy, real calm, level-headed guy. And you can also find some of his uh, videos in podcast form, I believe. Yes, so. Um, that should be good. Pretty much, yeah, most of them now. Yeah, so exactly. So again, if you want to yeah. listen to Daniel in audio form, you can check him out on Spotify, etc. Uh, Jack, thank you for coming on. Pleasure as always, mate. And uh, no problem. until the next episode, everybody have a Merry Christmas and keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.